0: I love at film festivals, we create a community that's a safe space, literally, for the filmmakers and makes them feel at home and welcome. And they become, they come to the filmmakers, not just colleagues and acquaintances, but actual friends. And that's rare. Because sometimes, you know, when you go to, say, you know, a conference, it can be an academic conference or any kind of conference can be, you know, like it's work. But this is like, you know, work, rest, play kind of thing. It's, it's fun. And then you're meeting people on a different kind of organic level. And it's important that when I was producing the festival in Wales, the Aberdeer Horror Festival, that we created a space. People could be themselves, you know, no, no boundaries, just be yourselves. Enjoy the film and have a laugh.
1: Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony, and I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C., with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. What's up, beautiful people? We have a very special guest today. Um, She is an award-winning film festival strategist, the founder of uh, the Film Doctor, whose team has nurtured hundreds of filmmakers, helping them with win awards, garner industry interest, and secure screenings at top film festivals around the world. Um, She is also an advocate on mental health within those creative industries which i love let's all say hello to dr rebecca louise smith louisa smith excuse me hi (laughs) hello so um really quick um give me uh your background story what's your your origin story what led you to um your creative field
0: So it kind of all came by accident, but I began um, working as a PA, um, a public, sorry, a um, personal assistant to many like corporate companies. And then I wanted to get into the world of like research and academia, just because it was something I was interested in. I didn't think it was my passion, but I thought I'm guided to do this. And then when I moved to Wales in Aberystwyth, which is in the UK, um, I was asked to co-produce a horror film festival. I was doing my PhD at the time, and that was actually a lonely, isolating process. There was a good support network, but it was, you know, the kind of job where it is a bit isolating. And Mm. he said to come and help out and produce a film festival. And I was like, well, that sounds like fun, you know, people and communal. And that hobby was actually my true calling. And I realized this is what I'm meant to be doing. I'm meant to be producing film festivals. And I loved the whole process of programming and creating the whole festival vibe and putting it together with the team. But also um, what I loved most was figuring out with filmmakers what they liked and disliked about festivals. And they all said, we love festivals. They're great. But the issue is we don't know who to ask and to turn to to help get our films into festivals, which is heaven for the best, and see what happens when we submit and throw it out in the wind. There's no guidance anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. So I thought, well, I can do this because I really have this. This definitely is my gift what I'm born to do, is work in the world of festivals and this part distribution in the film industry. And then in 2010, I set my company up, the Film Festival Doctor, and then it grew to where we are now. So, And it was teamwork dedication and commitment and discipline um but it was what I was meant to do is was being in the creative field and not academia
1: mm. so what was it like what was the per, uh, particular instance where you say okay this is for me what was what was it like working with your first client or like what was that process
0: it kind of like when I began the film festival work, I kind of came alive when I was mm. doing the PhD in the research, you know, it was interesting and it was, but it wasn't quite like I was being myself. And then when I began to do the producing, uh, sorry, producing the festival, I began to get really excited when a film would come our way and we watch the film and then start analyzing it. to maybe potentially program. Then we'd have to like, you know, Bore that program down from all these short films to like a a really short program to what we had to like chop off the films we wanted, look after filmmakers and just, you know, everyone to get like the vibe of the festival and discover these, this new talent. Mm. Um, and that's when I thought this is, this is what I should be doing. Like championing this talent, being a cheerleader, cheerleader for them, but also just helping more people get their films into festivals and seen, you know, far and wide. Um, so that was the moment was, it actually was during the first like first few days of the festival I was like "Ooh, I feel like I'm now myself I'm in my own skin than mm-hmm. I am being somebody that I don't want to be in academia
1: out of all the um films that you've helped produce uh help produce um with the festivals do you have any um specific films that your favorite like you watched and was like wow this is a, an amazing film
0: I think the one I'm probably like really well. I'm proud of every single film I work on. All of my clients are really happy with the results we get and how they travel on the circuit. But the one that I have a bit of a, a soft spot for is called The Cunning Man. Mm-hmm. And The Cunning Man was not originally supposed to go on the festival circuit. It was a really nice story how it all came together. They made it as part of a 48-hour film challenge um, for filming for two days on an Aria Alexa camera, which is a really big, you know, like, say, the art camera. Mm-hmm. And they had time to do the edit, but they, you know, they won. They they won that prize. And then I thought, have you done film festivals with this? And they were like, well, we haven't thought about film festivals. So like an afterthought. And I was like, oh, so we haven't got any goals for it. It's just, you know, get out there, I suppose. And that is a light little gem. It was BAFTA long-listed. It did about 70 festivals, got like 14, 15 awards. Mm. um, And it did like loads of top-tier Oscar-qualified BAFTA festivals, the whole lot, and it was incredible. And it went from like, you know, it was the kind of like, not saving it, it was more just me saying like, you definitely need to do festivals. Let's get it out there because this can do a lot for you in the career in your film and get Mm. this film seen and, and this brand. And they were like, oh, okay. You know, they were just totally like no attachment to a festivals at all. But it was so good, you know, seeing it get so much success and deservedly so, and then helping the filmmakers just get new connections and make their new film through just all by kind of accident. <laughs> mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. nice when that like takes a different turn. I was there to say, let's do it in this direction. And I know we can get something. Then we get a lot more than what we anticipated.
1: Mm, I love that. Um, when producing um different events and making films, um, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, how important is, uh, community for you when it comes to, um, you know, making a great film festival or finding different, um, filmmakers to show their work, like how important is community for you?
0: really important. I love at film festivals, we create a community that's a safe space literally for the filmmakers and makes them feel at home and welcome. And they become, Mm -hmm. they come to the filmmakers, not just colleagues and acquaintances, (laughs) but actual friends. And that's rare because sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, when you go to say, you know, a conference, it can be an academic conference or any kind of conference can be, you know, like it's work, but this is like, you know, work, rest, play kind of thing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's fun. And then you're meeting people on a different kind of organic level. And it's important that when, when I was producing the festival in Wales, the Abitur Horror Festival, that we created a space. People could be themselves, you know, no no boundaries, just be yourselves, enjoy the film and have a laugh. And Our energy was really high vibration. And yeah. Everyone else kind of followed suit with us and we'd, you know, have fun and, and maybe we'll make sure that we'll get fed and you know, just have a laugh and just make, you know, like a home from home. I kind of think mm-hmm. I call, I call community actually home from home. Um, there are festivals where it's not like any kind of, you know, hokey pokiness or a bit stiff. Yes. It's really like relaxing and chilled and enjoyable. And that's what it should be. And just feeling, you know, that you're part of, you're part of a family.
1: I love that. Um, when it comes to making films there's usually long hours long days um yeah. stressful moments you have to get certain edits out at specific times yeah. um mental health is often considered a taboo subject within the arts and entertainment industry um how did you um develop your 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 entrepreneurship within the mental health industry and how does that correlate with um uh, the arts and film?
0: Yeah, that's a great question because one of the things I noticed back in, say, sorry, around 2013, 2014, is as there were more festivals, you know, coming out and there were, it was getting very... Tough to get your film into festivals because, you know, there were so many films that were getting made, both short films and feature films. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw like a lot of a lot of filmmakers all had kind of pretty much the same goals. They wanted to level up and get into the really big festivals, you know, win awards there. And, you know, and be seen and get agents, managers and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is all good goals. And some of them had films that could achieve that, those festivals, some of them didn't. But one thing I did notice was a common thing, was when they didn't get into those festivals, even if they had a film that could have, if it couldn't, there would be, you know, there'd be quite a lot of stress and it would take its toll on them mentally. You know, they, mm-hmm. and not as someone have a breakdown, but someone just be very, very upset and I said, Well, why are you so upset about this? You know, the next film can, you know, this is these are giving you good feedback here for the next film, how to make it and, and what to do. And be like, well, you know, it's the dream's over. I'm not going to get that and, and manager age and not going to be seen respected by the, by my peers because I've not got those important laurels on the dusk qualified or BAFTA qualified. And I said, Well, that's not the end of it. You know, I think it's important now that we find out ways to remove attachment to a certain outcome and mm. also um remove the stress and pressure. Uh, or peer pressure that you're feeling. So all these little things came out the woodwork with the festival rejection letter would come in. Some would take it okay, but some wouldn't. And I'd see the pattern of it being, you know, this attachment to the dream gone. So I noticed that this was actually a big thing and festivals were not the, the causes; They were just triggering these mm-hmm. um, these points and, and these parts of the filmmakers. So I noticed that this was something that needed to be taken into account quite, you know, quite carefully. So I have a, you know, as part of my teaching when I was, well, teaching lectures, but also when I'm with my clients you know, nurturing them, I'd always bring in mental health, you know, how to look after oneself during this very stressful process. Cause it's a very intense and stressful process when it comes to submitting your film to festivals and all that kind of thing. The festivals are fun and they're, you know, they're great, but the process is quite long and arduous, mm. and you have to be prepared mentally nowadays for that because it's very, very, very competitive. Like it was Sundance this year, for example, they received what over twelve thousand short film submissions and select fifty three. So rejection's part of the process, and it's important mm. to get grounded to stay through, um, so stay through the process, very grounded and very, you know, like hands on and not going to take anything personally. And there's always going to be a way to take rejection positively and how to use it in a constructive way. So I then built up this little toolbox for filmmakers that then led eventually to publishing my book um, this year, in fact. Um, which was quite serendipitous because it'd been in the works for a long time. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to find the right kind of way to put it in, in the, um, in the industry. And it was kind of like the good timing was now because it's been a long time for me to put this together and put this toolbox together of resources to help filmmakers, you know, get, get grounded and, and to stay strong during this process. Also, I think in terms of timing It feels more important now to release it since we've gone through the pandemic where mental health was a really big issue. And people realized that they had to Mm -hmm. take care of mental health more during the lockdowns.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what's the name of your book, by the way?
0: It's called Film Festivals and Looking After Your Mental Health.
1: Mm, Okay, okay. And that can be purchased on Amazon or your website Uh, specifically?
0: Yeah, it's on my website. So I made it a free resource. I wanted to make it free because, I mean, it's a nice little ebook, book but I wanted to make it free because everyone, every filmmaker needs this book. And also people mm. in other industries besides film could use this too because the toolbox in there can be applied to any industry really, not just film. But obviously mm. the book is in the context of what happens when you get a rejection letter and how to cope with that. Um, so it's a free resource, free to download for all filmmakers and other people mm. um, all over the world.
1: Um. You touched on it uh, just a little bit, but as we know, with making films, whether you're a director or trying to uh, produce for film festivals or if you're an actor, um, rejection is really common. Um, what advice would you give anyone, period, um, on how to deal with rejection and how um, how to make not take it so personally when you're trying to pursue mm-hmm. that goal? Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great question because the key thing to do is to see rejection as always positive. And all you need to do is just keep tweaking things to get the goal achieved. So mm-hmm. for example, you know, say you didn't get, um, the, the promotion, somebody else got it. So it's a case of maybe asking them for constructive feedback on what were the parts that need improvement and then to work on those. And the mm-hmm. way you can work on them is take courses, um, learn things online, um, that could be, you know, to fill the gaps to then just be more stronger for the next, you know, promotion or presentation or whatever it might be where the context is and mm-hmm. take it as like, okay, that was useful. Cause I learned from that. That was really useful for me. Now I know what I can do to keep, you know, tweaking my craft to get where I want to be. Um, also with rejection is I would also see it as a good thing to really refine your goals. So it could be like, for example, when a filmmaker doesn't get the top tier festivals, say like the Oscar qualified festivals and the big ones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like okay it's showing us here that the film is going to be better received elsewhere so we can look into say festivals which could be like British film award qualifying which is still reputable and you can then you say you're for qualified and you mm-hmm. have your filming for qualified festivals or it needs to really hone in on your niches if, for example if you have a film that's a really good like horror film it's not going to break out of the horror film niche but can still do well within that niche let's tap into that abundance in that niche. Mm And let's get it seen there, that kind of thing. So it's changing direction. So just refining the goals, knowing what you want and what you can do with this film and how to achieve those goals in a different way, going down different kind of festival route in this case. They're my two kind of key things. And also thirdly, I'd say, would be once you know what your new goals are and you've had your feedback and you feel like you can really now just improve a bit more and find and tweak is put that all on a vision board. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm. That's important because vision boards actually back in the day we well, kind of seen as like fun and they are fun to make, but they're actually also a very useful business and personal tool. If you look at a vision board each day and you put on their images that you're drawn to with the right kind of manifestations or affirmations and affirming what you want and what your goals are. In other words, put the words mixed together. Look at it every day, like twice a day, even on your phone or in front of you, wherever it might be or on an app, whatever it's going to be. It mm-hmm. just trains your brain to thinking more positively and to stay grounded, and to think that these are within reach; these images are going to be within reach, or become my reality very soon, because I feel like I'm ready now to get them, and it's just be a matter of time.
1: Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, for me personally, what helps me stay level and you know maneuver through my mental health is is working out or um, reading yeah. books. Um, what are I'm pretty sure you're a very busy woman. What are some things you do to take some time for yourself just to keep yourself level and help your mental health?
0: Yeah. The first and foremost for me is I have to do a long walk every day. And I don't mm-hmm. look at my phone. Don't look at or answer the phone or walk with the phone. Literally, it's just me and And nature, whether it be cold or whether it be boiling hot, because I'm in Texas, so it's like can get very, very hot here. Mm -hmm. I just love doing the long walk. I do like it's probably like an hour and a half each day, door to door, and I love it because it just gives me time to clear my head, keep fit, think. And I just, sometimes I can actually think of more creative ideas when I'm out yeah. of the office and just have a different environment and get more like, you know, inspiration. And I don't feel tired afterwards when I come back, I've like, you know, really managed to keep awake and grounded and really like, you know, really on it. I only do it in the afternoon because that way, you know, I've had a busy morning because my mornings are crazy because I'm tired of do in our UK and USA offices. Mm-hmm. So it's like, right, I've done that now. I've had like, you know, a nice smashed it in the morning. Let's now just recalibrate and get out and do this walk because it just is really calming. It's amazing what nature can do because I'm in a place in Dallas where there are like, you know, nature and greenery and there's obviously there is the city. So mm. it's a bit of best of both worlds when I'm doing that walk, whether I take the walk that's either that way or that way. Um, mm. But I get that just it just really calms. I recommend anybody do that because walking is kind of like a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. You can actually meditate when you walk and just like, you know, zone out and think of the things that you want, that being your goals and your vision board. Also, what I like to do is I like um, to um, not play, but um, maybe we should use the word play, play with tarot cards out there and, you know, and have a chat with say the divine. Then it's really interesting to see what you learn and what you can like, you know, be aware of and helps you develop personal skills so that helps as well because you get, like, comfort, but you also get reassurance and also ways to think, ah, yes, there's something I could then just tweak or improve and it just pulls into place by just having an extra objective feedback.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. So um, I love all of that. Um, does that help with anxiety? Because I'm I'm sure producing film festivals and helping different artists, you know, um, it's a very stressful period, but when you're in the middle of that, I guess, tornado or that storm, how do you center yourself in order to, you know, keep the show moving?
0: Yeah, no, it is stressful. And the way that I find a, a way, a good way to really center yourself and to ground is to do a uh, visual meditation. Mm-hmm. So enough to me for very long, literally it can be just five, 10 minutes, I find that can work really well. And just like, before you get up and before you go to bed, it's just to like wind down and do a, a meditation where you can, where it's like a guided one where you visualize is going through, you know, like to a kingdom and like all these beautiful places and you just visualize mm-hmm. it. And also where you have like, you grow tree roots in your feet. So then you just ground mm-hmm. into the ground and you visualize mm-hmm. that every day. It can really help. Um I'm taking a time out from the paperwork, uh, the meetings, the Zoom calls, the organisation, the pressure. Taking time out of the environment is important. I mean, you can do meditation at your home, you can do it in the workplace, you can do it anywhere. But taking that time out, like getting away, like from the office, going outside, is just really helps um, cleanse the brain and the aura from all of the, you know, and wash away negativity or just stress <clears> and <throat> that kind <throat> of thing. Because obviously, it's like you're in a ticking time bomb. Sometimes it's a very small contained you know, pressure that you're under. Um, So it just makes you feel more, you know, balanced and grounded by getting away. Because when you're in office, you can get distracted. Mm -hmm. Your phone or people, whatever, or people talk to you and want questions answered. So, which is natural, but when you're not in that zone and nobody can like, you know, rope you into something and you're with yourself, your thoughts, there might be hard to maybe thoughts might come in you might not want to face, but then they're good that you do because that way you, you go through the emotion. You become a stronger person to deal with the stress that comes with producing.
1: Absolutely. I love that. Um, as the founder of a company in a niche industry, what, yeah. valuable, what valuable lessons have you learned that might inspire other entrepreneurs?
0: Do you know what? The key thing, that's a really good question. The key thing I always say to anybody is get a business mentor. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you know, I spent probably a good few years, like, you know, not really having the best backend or system in place. And when I learned what those systems were, the business became a dream to run because everything was organized. There was no there's no like major like, I mean, it was organized, but it wasn't to the point where it should have been in the way that business systems are and funnels. Okay. And when I learned that, it was a dream. And the two people that I worked with that helped me a lot was Jolanda Mil- Milioto, they're UK-based, and Edward J. Smith, also UK-based. Um, they were just brilliant because they just made all the stuff that I was you know, not understanding or doing right, simple, <laughs> you know, layman's mm-hmm. terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, people understand, when you understand the basics and when you're told what the basics are, it's really helpful. Because then you're like, oh, that's quite simple, you know, and you've explained it in a simple way and you've given all the sheets to do it and you put a system in place. It's really, really easy and it becomes a joy then to run the business because you're not like, you know, things aren't missing or going through the cracks because Mm -hmm. the cracks are all sealed up with a tight infrastructure. So it's really important to get a business coach that can guide you and answer your questions and teach you how to build it, the building blocks to then just run away with it and let it grow.
1: Yes. Um, do you have any suggestions on a entrepreneur or a filmmaker that's first starting out? Um, do you have any suggestions on how to build an audience or build a following around, um, that specific idea or whatever you're trying to produce or put out to the world?
0: Yeah. It's really important with, in the context of film, um, to be very active and have a presence and frequently post on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, uh, when I first started this company up in 2010, uh, kind of like 2009 the idea planted, but in 2010, when it was all kind of like the, the soft launch occurred, all we had to research was Google. <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. when when me and my friend um, who was at the festival, I met him at the festival, Colin, I told him about this idea and he was like, oh, let's go on Google, see what's on Google. It was a big thing, you know, because by that, you know, you had Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter before it became X. Um, you had those, but they were more like not really used for businesses. It was more for personal things. You know, Facebook was the time when it had that thing on Facebook where it said, you status, like Rebecca is, you know, having a cup of tea or something. Mm-hmm, it was that mm-hmm. time before it changed, became more advanced. And then we found ways to use, you know, for a business, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and Pinterest, et cetera. But Instagram is a very visual medium and film is a very visual medium. And every time you had a film festival, a lot of the time, like I'd say nine times out of 10, people will say, Oh, watch your Instagram. And then we're like, Oh, can't you just have my phone number? But it needs to be like to build a no like trust and to see what you're doing and to, you know, like get on people's radars and build a brand up and, and get more exposure is to have a very good Instagram page that shows what you're doing, mm-hmm. shows visually what you're doing, you know, behind the scenes of a film, stills from a film, the poster, festival laurels, or premiere sequences or being seen at the festival, whatever it might be, is really important that you document, not every single minute of your day, but document the key highlights of the career for you in the film and mm. put them on there and be grateful because then people are attracted to that energy. And it's important to have it on Instagram because it's the most kind of probably is nowadays the most widely used platform for filmmakers. Pinterest also is a little bit different Pinterest with the boards. It's more Instagram. So between the two, Instagram has the edge. You can use Pinterest in a different way, but a lot of filmmakers will just ask straight the way about what's your Instagram. And that really helps a lot nowadays. Mm -hmm. I mean, LinkedIn is, some people would like to use LinkedIn in film on a business connection sense, but it's more like, you know, a bit more, maybe less, maybe filmmakers, but Instagram is the norm for the film, for the filmmaking
1: tribe. I love that. It's like helping your audience grow with you. So it feels like they- I guess, I take a part into the, 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 the growth process, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Because then you build a following and engaged community and doing things like Instagram live and stories, all these mm-hmm. things, build up a rapport. And then when to put the, put content on the right time. All those kind of things uh, do make a big difference and a big, a big, a big deal. Um, like I do that. I post on Instagram. I, I post on all platforms. I mean, my favorite is Instagram because it has, Well, that's not where my clientele are, (laughs) more than they are the other platforms. I mean, LinkedIn there are, there are, but it's just a different kind of engagement with Instagram. I post on all of those platforms like once a day, once every other day on a main feed. And then the stories I do, you know, frequently. I kind of do stories though, not like me. You know, having a bottle of smart water today, more Mm. stories that are like news, you know, like got into this festival, this client got this award, this client got that nomination, this client got into this festival today. And there's a picture of them, a post, I call them, sometimes I put on postcard from the St. Louis Film Festival, for example, Mm. a picture of me there uh, from the festival, or my client whatever, um, you know, just make it like, make it like news in a way. Um, but also just exciting. And you can do like broadcast channels as well, you know, for your brand, but making you the center of your universe and you being the main point of contact, people buy from people, people collaborate with people, people engage with people, not really so much name of a a company, more about the person.
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, how important is it for an, Artists or filmmaker, how important is it for them to protect their IP? Um, for example, um, I've seen this short film on YouTube uh, one year, and then two years later, a whole totally different um, company created the same concept on and put it on Netflix. <laughs> so basically, yeah. they were robbed. Um, how is it important? Is, how important is it for um, an individual uh, to protect their their intellectual property?
0: It's essential. So what you can do in the beginning is ensure that you um, copyright and trademark the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Um, You can do that in all territories, wherever you're based. Um, Obviously, you've got the Writers Guild in in the US, for example. Um, So that's really crucial to do that and trademark it. Um, And the other thing I recommend as well is when the film is finished to make sure that you, when you do the whole production, when you've got the funds where you're going to make the film, create a separate LLC, which is the LLC just for the film. So if your company is mm-hmm. called, you know, um, Rebecca Smith Productions, and then you're going to make a film called um, Stardust, and mm-hmm. uh, let's pretend, then make an LLC for Stardust LLC. So it's its own entity, it's its own company, its own protection is most important.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, Really quick, what was the transition from um, the UK to the States like? How was that for you?
0: It was, it would have been easy, but it was one of the biggest challenges of my whole life. And I'm still recovering a little bit from it now. Hmm. So my visa My work visa was approved during COVID, literally in April 2020, (laughs) about Mm. the best timing. Um, And then it took a while to to figure out how to get into the US during COVID because there was no end in sight, you know, when it was going to, the pandemic was going to be over. So I had a lawyer come on board who gave me advice that wasn't um, the right advice. And I had a lot of problems with immigration when I went to LX airport and didn't end well. So Mm. I had to go back to Mexico City where I was staying um, doing the quarantine for much longer, about about seven months. Then eventually I got the issue sorted, managed to get here to the US um, in 2021. So eventually I got here. It came though with the aftermath of the trauma. So then there was PTSD for a very long time, having to get my body adjusted to feeling safe again. Um, so it wasn't the smoothest. The business, though, in the meantime was really doing well and still is now, obviously. But it was just, you know, there's nothing wrong with the business. It was more me. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But obviously with the pandemic in the background, you know, in 2021, it was like a weird year. And then 2022, things started to change. Um, well, more like mid-2021, things started to change for festivals. So I managed to get back to where I needed to be in the US and it all kind of came together. It was yeah. just not very smooth, but I learned a lot from that. Uh, which actually helped create a very authentic book that I've just published, the Film Festival, Look like After your Mental Health book. Mm-hmm. So it just felt more real having to deal with mental health issues more than I would ever before.
1: Mm. I love that the, the pandemic was a very tragic time, but it was insightful as well, because it made yeah. a lot of people um, look inwardly, you know, yes. and self-reflect, which... Could be a benefit or a detriment, depending on if you have someone to talk to or not. You know, exactly. but um, it helped me out a lot too. Because we yeah. wake, wash, work, wake, wash, work. You know, you never really get time to look within yourself because you're so busy. So yep. I guess it was um, a fortunate time for some people as well.
0: Exactly. You know, it was. So I learned like a lot from that, and it was you know one thing you just you just could not. You just so everything was uncertain. Like Mm -hmm. you couldn't really plan anything because things changed every day. I mean, when I left the UK in 20, it was in December, 2020, when I left the UK, that was like three years ago. um, It was, it was insane because Mm. it was, you know, like all these weird rules in the UK, but they weren't applied to other parts of the world. So when I went to Mexico, it was very different. I was like, oh, compared to how strict it was in the UK. Mm. Um, And then the UK came came more lenient, but it was strict in other parts of the US and it was very fragmented so you just had to like just work around just do it on a day-by-day basis really and work around each country and plan ahead in a different way and having to do things you probably wouldn't want to do you know really allow yourself to relinquish control and accept what you're given and how to take that in a way which is full of gratitude
1: absolutely um we only have a few minutes left um how would you like the film and how would you like to see the film industry progress with a more positive influence for mental health. Like, um, what is your vision for that?
0: I'd like mental health to become like an integral part of making a film and distributing a film and promoting a film. Absolutely. Right. I think it needs to flag up maybe on a film set to really bring in perhaps meditation techniques. So one of the girls I interview, well, she's a filmmaker, sorry, one of the filmmakers interview in my book, um, she is a meditation teacher and a filmmaker, and she mm. brings that practice onto a set, which obviously can be full of tension and stress, anxiety, and, you know, and pressure and all that kind of stuff that comes with filmmaking. And she brings that in to a film set. And I said, more people should be doing this because, you know, it creates a very safe environment, but also a very appreciative community because you're all, you know, calmer. You're going to do a hard day's work, but it's calmer, you know, to where it can go. So mm. when you've got the strength to inside you to deal with what what's thrown at you in a film set, then that is an integral part. Some people do do it, but it's not like common practice. And they're saying like one of what my main vision and goal is um for the in terms of film festivals is the way that I practice uh, creating a festival strategy is to integrate two things. One, the right kinds of festivals to submit my clients' films to the key mm. thing. And secondly, giving them that toolbox,'m helping them prepare for what's ahead of them and how to stay grounded during a very intense and, you know, life-changing process and how to go with the flow and not take anything personally.
1: I love that. And um, I just want to piggyback on that Um, here in the States, we have a, um, when you're in uh, grade school, uh, kindergarten, in the middle of the day, we take naps. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should go back to doing that even as an adult. (laughs) A, a 20, 30 minute nap, it makes me feel a lot better. <laughs>
0: yeah, like a, like a siesta or like, yeah, like just uh, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: rest, factoring in rest. So yeah, a rest time. You know, when they say like a rest stop, literally a rest stop.
1: Absolutely. Um, looking back at your journey, what advice would you give your younger self regarding um, your career and mental health and navigating it all?
0: Um. Always ask for help. Don't mm. try and think you can do it all by yourself. And that goes to delegating to your staff, to hire more staff to help you build the business, make it grow by delegating as much as possible. Um, you know, look into properly into mental health and how to how to manage your emotions and uh, your business coaches and all those kind of people are very important.
1: You yeah. love that. Well, Miss Smith, um, I appreciate you taking the time out. I, I love your initiative, I love that um you found uh you found your purpose within your career thank you no problem so um that's the end of the episode everyone we had a very insightful and special guest today um once everything is done edited we'll reach out to your agent and send all the the, the copies and everything let you know when it airs
0: brilliant that's great thank you very much it was really nice i really enjoyed it